It's the Carson Price for Monday, February 26, 2024. We're coming to you from the GoGoat Sports Studio built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. Extend your game night. Make it a staycation in downtown Vancouver. Call the Wall Center, 604-331-1000. Ask for the Sikarison price rate. Some blackout dates may apply. Matt Sikaris alongside Jeff Patterson sitting in for Blake Price this week. Pretty sass. Hitting switches and conducting things with Madison Buckingham. It's a big show all brought to you by Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Nissan Surrey, the 23 Nissan Rogue, 24-month lease, 0% on select trims, the 23 Nissan Qashqai. 36-month finance from 2.99% on all trims and the Nissan Leaf starting from $82 a week plus a $500 loyalty rebate. As they say, it's all good at Applewood. Our poll question today, we're asking, is JT Miller the team MVP? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. Good morning. Nice to see you. Yeah. Thanks for sitting in this week. Looking forward to it. Another big week for the Canucks and what a night at the Rod on Saturday. We're going to talk about it in a second, but first give me your uh, take on the poll question. Miller, is he team MVP? Uh, I've been on Quinn Hughes's bandwagon all season long. And Mm -hmm. I think I'm still there just for the, the way that he has tilted the ice and brought his game up a level, and I wasn't sure that I mean, his game was at a high level to begin with, but he leveled up. He's cooled a little bit here, and the way JT has played since the All-Star break, absolutely driving the bus for the Vancouver Canucks right now. There's enough runway here, I think, Oh yeah, for it still to be an interesting debate. I'm still with Hughes right now, right? but honestly, and I wrote about this at Canucks Army, that might have been JT Miller's best game in a Vancouver Canuck uniform. Oh, it was fantastic. Uh, more on that in a second. Three assists night as they come storming back to beat the Boston Bruins. I'm with you. I voted no because I'm still Hughes, but the gap is closing. And frankly, Jeff, Thatcher Demko and Elias Pettersson are not dead yet in this race either. Uh, I mean, with what's left of the season, either of them or both could make a case. I'll, I'll say this. I think this is going to be one of the tougher team MVP votes that we've seen in some time. Yeah. And this is all fan voted at the end of the season. So we're 22 games away. I walked out of the game against Boston. They're at the 60 game mark. And I thought 22, the playoffs can't get here quickly enough. So before the postseason, we will know. And yeah, I mean, and again, it speaks to the kind of season the Canucks are having that they've got four legitimate MVP candidates. And Oh yeah. The guy with 33 goals and scored twice in the winner the other night, uh, he'd like in on this conversation as well, although I think probably a, yeah. a long shot at this stage. I saw your tweet. Uh, remarkable consistency from the Vancouver Canucks. What was it? 27 points, 28 points, 27 points. Yeah, even I was a little gra- surprised yeah. that, that because of the last, in- the last week, it felt like the roof was caving in on them and they haven't played that well since the All-Star break. But before the All-Star break, they won 10 of 12. Mm-hmm. And so 20-game increments, they have just been as even keel as as you can get. Well, let's get into our big story, uh, top story, brought to you by Mr. Lube, and that is the comeback win against Boston, 3-2 in overtime. I saw your other tweet, JT Miller collecting his 50th assist, Besser got his 60th point, Hughes his 70th point, 20th home victory for the Vancouver Canucks, big round numbers, Miller with the three assists, Besser with the two goals, including the winner, 
shots 39 22 vancouver i was watching with a bunch of buddies at the bar and we noted that the canucks were out shooting boston but they were stuck on 21 there for a while they wind up with 39 shots on goal 82 points leads the national hockey league their winning percentage of 683 though jeff has gone tumbling down to fifth place Mm. in the league 31 33 regulation wins continues to lead the league 25 and two on home ice at Rogers arena. I know you've chronicled this is looking to be one of the best seasons ever for the Vancouver Canucks on home ice. Yeah. And I think you'd have to put Saturday's win right up there at the top. There've been a few others, the comeback win against Bo Horvat and the Islanders in overtime, uh, grabbing a three, nothing lead on the Leafs and then squandering it and then rallying to win. And that was a Saturday obviously, but Matt, I mean, that place popped on Saturday when Besser, well, when they scored all three of their goals. The first one that gave them some life, the tying goal that forces overtime, and then a power play in OT. I mean, how rich was that storyline for a power play that hasn't been able to score for weeks now? Um, And it was four on three, not five on four. And so they went back to JT on the half wall, Besser in front of the net, old times. And uh, their wonder powers were activated, and then... Yeah, it's been a while since I've heard the building that loud. Like well, it really was something else. Our, our friend Al Murdoch, PA announcer at Rogers Arena, his tweet after Saturday, amazing game for JT and great resolve by the Canucks in a 3-2 OT win. Absolutely blown away by the fans tonight at Rogers Arena and your participation in the goal announcements and the three stars. Let's keep it going. Yeah, the fans are having a fun time with JT Miller. <laughs> That's our top story today, and it is brought to you by Mr. Lube, 100% Canadian, started by a father and son team in Edmonton, uh, the pioneer, of course, of the no-appointment oil change, warranty-approved oil changes, now providing tire service and sales. No appointment needed. 16 locations here in the Lower Mainland. Find the one near you. Go to MrLube.com. More on JT Miller here in a second. Our friend Harmon Dial from Canucks Conversation, The Athletic. JT Miller deserves so much credit for a monster performance, physical, hard to play against, and unbelievable playmaking. You mentioned operating off that half wall on the power play. You take a look at a game like that, Jeff, and that bodes so very well for the playoffs because that was a playoff-style hockey game Saturday against a terrific team Yeah, at Rogers Arena. That was as close to peak Ryan Kessler as I can recall. Plays over 20 minutes. He has... Three assists, so he's in on all three of the goals. Two of them are primary helpers, including the winner. But even before they were scoring goals, Matt, like he was into that game. He was matched up against Marshawn and Charlie Coyle, and that's not an easy assignment. Uh, Jake DeBrusque, the other winger on that line. But JT matched his own team high, or his own season high, and the team high, eight hits on the afternoon, went 13-6 and six in the faceoff circle. I think he went 11-12 of 12 in the offensive zone. Like, he was just so dialed in, as he has been since the All-Star break. I mean, he has been their best player without a doubt. He's been consistent and consistently good, didn't score, but had his fingerprints all over that comeback. And the piece that I wrote at uh, Canucks Army, to me it started, and you may remember, about six minutes into the third period, he comes off the bench. Hoaglander basically puts the puck on a tee in the slot, and he skated onto it. It looked like the All-Star, like, Hardest shot competition. He just took this massive run and wound up big slap shot. And Jeremy Swayman made a nice glove save. 
but it kind of was a message like, all right, you mm-hmm. got me this time, but we're coming after you here. And sure enough, they did. And the, you, you know, you put in the shots 15 to five, they were full value. Like they spent most of that third period in the Bruins zone, felt like they wouldn't be denied. You wondered if they were going to come up a goal short, but ultimately Philip Hironik, who was wearing the goat horns for his defensive play on the first goal, the Boston goal where he got caught in the neutral zone and then just got flat footed. Uh, but Philip Hironik with the big shot there from the point, Besser, the nice screen and, uh, yeah, when uh, overtime came around. Um, and look, the Canucks had too many men on the ice penalty early in the hockey game. Bruins mm-hmm. couldn't capitalize. Uh, tables were turned, and that was too many. What a brutal line change by the Bruins. Nowhere to hide there. They had four skaters on the ice, and the uh, Canucks went to work on the power play and made them pay. And you really have to screw it up in overtime. There's only three guys yeah. set out there yep. on the line change, although sometimes it might actually be more complicated. Uh, because things are happening so quickly in the extra session. It is 79 points now for Miller. He's five clear of Elias Pettersson for the team lead. They both have the same number of even strength goals at 19. They both have the same number of uh, even strength assists at 28, believe it or not. JT playing 19 minutes and 38 seconds a night. Elias playing 19 minutes and 39 (laughs) seconds. So one second difference. Difference between these guys. You mentioned the faceoffs. He's up to 55% on the season, Jeff, and 156 hits is second on the team behind only Dakota Joshua. Here's head coach Rick Tockett on Miller's performance on Saturday. I just thought his will tonight was strong, and I I, I, I could feel a lot of guys. He was leading the way, and they were they were following him. Um, and there was not, and like I said, he was really calm. Even he was one of the guys talking to the guys. Hey, it's only two nothing. Even with like thirteen or fourteen minutes left, he was saying, "Hey, we, we, you know, keep doing the right thing." So that's the nice thing as a coach when you hear your leader say that. Well, we know he's vocal. Well, I just, I mean, we think of this you know, heart on his sleeve, engine is running, and now Rick Tockett is trying to debunk that, telling us that JT Miller's bringing Zen to the bench, that he's putting like bonsai trees and a, a waterfall, and, you know, not getting worried when it's 2 nothing and 13 minutes to play. The calm JT Miller apparently keeping everybody in check. Yes, his feng, his feng shui is <laughs> who knew off the charts here. Well, we talked about the atmosphere and the game at Rogers Arena, and of course, it was bolstered by the return of the Green Men. We hadn't seen them in eight years, not since 2015 at Rogers Arena, but Force and Sully were back in full garb, full regalia with all their props up to their hijinks in those two seats right beside the penalty box. Now, for a moment there, I'm not sure we were going to get the best out of the green men because Boston wasn't doing its part in taking very many penalties. Although you could tell that James Van Riemsdyk, he had a, he got a kick. Yeah. There was quite a smirk there. Stifling the smile. And as a matter of fact, we're going to have green man force coming up on the show here. Uh, I got to say the reception for them was huge, not just in Rogers arena, but across BC with Canucks fans and even beyond Jeff. Surprised me a little. I I, I don't know why. I, I guess I thought maybe they had had their 15 minutes, but uh, they are part of what the Canucks have. You know, you think back to the height of the heights, and they were there, and and so people I think uh, associate them with good times, and certainly they're fun. Don't get me wrong here, but I was a little surprised at the pop. But 
I love the surprise element of it. The fact that they kept tight lipped and didn't tell anybody and the way that uh, they had Al Murdoch in on the intro. Uh, yeah. Mm. I mean, it was already a good atmosphere in there at the Bruins. You knew that the early start, all of those things. Uh, and then you get the green man showing up. Yeah. And so uh, just added to the fun. And also we should mention as well, uh, our Steve Baines home debut. Right. Now, he didn't figure that prominently. We're going to get to him game. in a okay. second here. But just it, there were so many storylines and so many layers to For sure. what went down there on Saturday. And that video you saw on YouTube, courtesy of the Vancouver Canucks, who, of course, were on hand to capture the big surprise as the Green Men came out to the Stone Cold mm-hmm. Steve Austin entrance music and made their way down to their seats. Little, uh, a little more difficult to do at their age, as you'll hear for here <laughs> in a little bit. Uh, okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Elliot Friedman, Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday, saying teams are calling Vancouver to see if Elias Pettersson is available. Now, as you know, Jeff, the Vancouver Canucks are trying to tamp down all the noise surrounding Elias Pettersson and his still... Uh, unwillingness to negotiate on a contract extension beyond this season. They're telling teams that they are trying to sign him, but a couple weeks before the trade deadline, teams understand the boat that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin are in. They know they would prefer to get an answer from Elias between now and the deadline, if not an extension. It helps in the team-building process. It helps inform some of the deadline moves you may or may not make this is effectively the natural evolution of having a player of this caliber be unsigned this late into the season. I mean, other general managers would not be doing their jobs if they weren't calling Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford right now and seeing where they stand on Elias Patterson. There is no world by which they would trade Patterson by a week from Friday. No, March 8th. They're trying to win a Stanley Cup this year. And he is, despite all this noise, he's a huge part of what they put on the ice on a nightly basis. He is not getting traded before the deadline, but it is starting to get more curious. Like I wasn't sure that it could get more curious. And there just doesn't seem to be anybody that has a true read on what he's thinking, where this is going. And so Elliot has his report in the second intermission of the early game. Well, it was the Canuck game on, on Saturday. Sunday at practice. And look, we see Rick Tockett almost every practice. Start by spending time on the ice, one-on-one, fairly deep conversations. Just so happened that it was Elias Pettersson on Sunday. And I just, man, I would love a transcript of what those two were talking about. Um you know, is he happy here? Like, is he not? If not, why not? Um, is it affecting his play? I think a lot of people now feel that it isn't affecting his play. And even, but saying that, like for all the love, all of a sudden for JT in the market, since the All Star break, Miller's got twelve points. Pedersen has ten. So again, there isn't a lot to separate the two. But boy, right now it just kind of feels like there's this massive gulf in terms of fan perception and the sides people are taking. Do do you think there's any part of Pedersen that was naive to the way this would play out if he said, I don't want to negotiate till after the season? Like, surely his agents, two of the biggest in the game, prepped him and let him know, okay, Elias, in advance of the trade deadline, if you're still unsigned, be prepared for this sort of noise. Do you think there's any part of Elias that was naive 
to the way this would play out in the market, Jeff? Or do you think he knew full well that it would create a lot of noise, a lot of distraction, and just chose to deal with it? But don't JP Barry and Pat Brisson have like the handbook for of course star athlete? Like I of course. So even if he's naive, the agents say, "Hey, this is how it's going down." Would he have been better served on the first day of training camp to say, "Look, I'm not talking about this. My choice is." to negotiate after the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably in hindsight, but he has sort of played this aloof. Uh, you know, he's been questioned a couple of times, but again, I think the people in the market that thought the media was going to be clubbing him over the head on a daily basis with the questions. Hasn't that happened. has not no. happened at all. Like he has been given his space to operate in that regard. And still like, there's just no clarity whatsoever. So uh, I'm with you on the team building side, like mm-hmm. because I, I get like for the names the Canucks are attached to, I don't think they want to get in on rentals. Like I think nope. they want to be able to approach players if they trade for them and be able to resign them, including but, Elias Lindholm. But you need to know at the top of the food chain, the guy that's going to take up the biggest piece right. of the pie. Not to mention the fact it is politically unwise to bring in players and give them contract extensions prior to Elias Pettersson. It, it, it's a ass backwards in terms of the team building exercise, but there are also political sensibilities here. Now I know Blake has said all season long, too bad the business of Canucks sports entertainment and the team building has to go forward. And if Elias is saying he doesn't want to negotiate until after the season, then that's the choice he made, uh, makes and he has to understand that there are consequences. Let me ask you this. Do you think the hesitancy has anything to do with his relationship with JT Miller? We know they're not the closest of buddies, but you know, if you're Elias Patterson and you want to win a cup, you have to feel like there's another frontline forward on your team that's help, that's going to help pull the heavyweight, lift the heavyweight, and be a part of the solution. Do you think it has anything to do with JT Miller, the hesitancy? To sign, I I can't sit here and say no. I want to believe, though, like you don't have to be best friends with the people you work with, and I I think that goes across the board to just about anybody in any sector that you get paid to do a job. Like, is it a high profile job in this place? Are people scrutinizing his every move? Absolutely, but when the puck drops. I want to believe that Elias Patterson and JT Miller are pulling on the rope in the same direction and then are good teammates, regardless if they go out for. Uh, and all the evidence the suggests that, <laughs> Jeff, at least for this year. But I suppose the broader question is you know, is there enough oxygen to go around? You know that JT's going to be here for a while. And if Elias commits long term, now. Earlier, and JT has an outsized effect on the culture of oh, that dressing without room. A doubt. But like a couple of months ago, there was a suggestion that, oh, maybe Pedersen would go the Austin Matthews route and go shorter term. And I still think that's a distinct possibility when you look at the contracts of Thatcher Demko and Quinn Hughes and sort of the way they all line up and what could be the true window for this organization. So there are ways where he doesn't have to worry about coexisting with JT for seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. It could be a shorter term deal here. I thought it was fascinating. And again, we're at that point in the program now where every word uh even when his name isn't mentioned gets parsed after practice on sunday rick talkett was asked about Sidney crosby the penguins are coming in for tuesday night and 
again, I'm, I, I, this is me. I'm reading too much into it. I get that, but I couldn't help but go down this road. So Rick Taka was asked about Sidney Crosby and marveled at what he's doing at his age. And you know, he had a four point afternoon in a Penguins win over the Flyers on Sunday. And Tockett said, we played them a couple of weeks ago and Sid was the best player on the ice. And I'm thinking to myself, Elias Pedersen had a couple of goals, including the, the winner in overtime. And again, it just sort of feels like I don't think that there was anything to that answer. But I. But also, it's all in the interpretation and how those the, two ears yeah, it, it, are receiving all of but this. But, you know, it wasn't two years ago. This was a couple of weeks ago. And right. Pedersen, it was the height of the lotto line just, you know, surging. And yeah. pocket offers that, oh, yeah, Sid was easily the best player on the ice. He was good that night, yeah. but so was Elias Pettersson. Let me ask you this. Do you think it has anything to do with all the crap that he's been through with this organization? We're talking about a, a franchise that completely mishandled COVID, if you may recall, in a couple of occasions. The different coaching changes, the lack of winger, uh, the owner wanting to be chummy with players, all the different things and the different the taps being turned off after the bubble run, all the negative experiences that he's had here with the club since his debut? I think there's lived experience, certainly, but it's a new management group. He's on his third coach because he arrived with Travis. So, um, but times change and the fortunes of this hockey club change. And I'd like to see or think that he could see a path forward here. Like I do wonder, does a lengthy and successful playoff run change anything? Ditto. For Elias Pettersson, or has he made up his mind and he just hasn't let us all know? Uh, all of that said, sure, like ownership's the same. There are still some people in the organization that are around, but there's been so much changes mm -hmm. as you have well seen. So I think the other thing too here that he has to be mindful of is be careful what you ask for. And if he does want out, yeah, you could wind up in places that yeah, no. aren't anywhere close to Vancouver on the. That's on the world true, stage. but but who knows what tickles his fancy? Yeah. Do you think fishbowl environment is something that he chafes at? I mean, I do. I yeah. mean, it's just not his. Clearly, it's not his favorite part of the job. But mm -hmm. again, like he sat in the locker room yesterday. Nobody asked to speak to him. There was no request, so he just sat in his stall while the media was at the front of the room and others were doing like, it's not an everyday occurrence as much as people think the scrutiny in this marketplace, he's front burner and he's talked about every day, but he sat and looked as relaxed as possible in yeah. his stall there yesterday. So, you know, I think there are a lot more days like that than people realize. Yeah. But clearly, I mean, when his name is on that whiteboard and he has to do media, it's obvious that's not his favorite part of being a star hockey player. All right. Well, he centered his own line free of Elias Lindholm, uh, and they practiced that way on Sunday as well. So that's Miller with Besser and Pius Suter. That's Pedersen with Hoaglander and McKayev. That's Lindholm with Baines and Garland. More on Baines here in a second. Luger Lafferty, PDG on the fourth line. Um, I mean, Hoaglander's there. Good. But McKayev is back there on his right wing. What was your... Uh, what was your take on the first time we've seen the three stack centers, Miller, Pedersen? I was shocked, honestly. I they didn't have a morning skate because of the early start. So when they came out for warm-up, uh, there was a part of me that thought Ilya McKayev may have played his way out of the lineup on uh, Thursday in Seattle. Now he's back with Pedersen. And I was uh, incredible. I mean, guy's got one goal in 31 games. They played 60 games, and so he has one goal in the last half of the, the season that they played so far. 
uh, it just doesn't seem right or fair to Elias Pettersson to have to, uh, you know, try to prop that up on a daily basis. I understand what Trockett was trying to do. He was asked about it on uh, Friday out at UBC, you know, uh, how much longer could he go with Elias and Elias because they just hadn't forged much of a bond. And he did talk about the fact that they're both natural centers. So I guess in that regard, I wasn't shocked to see them go deeper down the middle with three centers and Teddy Bluger. Like that's pretty solid center lineup. Like I, but again, you take the shape of this group and you move people around. If you take Elias Lindholm from your top six and give him his own line, it exposes some real weaknesses on that winger depth. I mean, Besser scored twice the other night, leads the team in goals. Uh, Connor Garland has had the nice season for the role that he has found himself in. And you talked about Hoaglander, but almost every line doesn't have what you would consider a legitimate top six, like Mikheyev. Suter's not a top six winger when he's perfectly placed. And then you've got Archdeep Baines, who's trying to find his way, but, you know, is third line winger yeah. the best spot for him uh, on a team that's headed to the playoffs? Is the fact that Dakota Joshua is out of the lineup giving him the license to break up that terrific third line? Like, would you worry about Garland's play going forward away from Teddy Bluger and Bluger's play away from Connor Garland? I, I like the idea, Matt, of Joshua when he gets back with Garland and Lindholm because you've seen here recently Teddy Bluger's been set up. Like, Archdeep Baines uh, in that debut in Colorado set him up for a couple of great-A looks. Teddy Bluger hasn't scored since the first game since the Christmas break. Elias Lindholm is a more polished, better finisher. So for all the good that that line had done, and I thought Lindholm had a good 200-foot game the other night. Coach mentioned that as well post-game. The idea of Garland, Lindholm, and Joshua as a beefed-up third line, I think, would be great. But what does that mean for what's above them in the lineup? So, um, you know, they use Teddy Bluger on the fourth line to, in the coach's words, to stabilize that fourth line. That's an area that's not getting talked about enough to me is two weeks out from the trade deadline, that fourth line has evaporated. Well, let's let's talk about it here because okay. Frank Saravelli of Daily Faceoff and our weekly Friday guest has connected them to Minnesota Wild forward Brandon Duhame. Now he cautions that look, Duhame plays for a team that is still hoping to make the playoffs in Minnesota. Uh, I'll read from Frank's tweet. Canucks have been keeping close tabs on Minnesota Wilds. Brandon Duhame. It's no lock. Duhame is moved with Minnesota in a playoff chase, but an intriguing piece on the trade target board. Uh, this is a former BCHL or Jeff. Yes, who, but a year in merit. Exactly. Um, even played a handful of games in West Kelowna uh, prior to matriculating to Providence College uh, to the Wild Farm team. This is his third National Hockey League season. Now, he's not a big scorer, just the six points in 58 games. He's played 12 Stanley Cup playoff games, no points there either, but a bang-and-crash penalty-killing winger and, in fact, is one of the uh, principal penalty-killing forwards for the Minnesota Wild, ranking fourth amongst their forwards in shorthanded time per game. Yeah, 20, 26 years old from Coral Springs, Florida. He's listed at 6'2", 200, so he's got some decent size. Matt, he was a terrific rookie. I mean, he had six goals and 17 points, but 122 penalty minutes and was a pain in the ass to play against. Across the board, it just kind of feels like his play has fallen off, so maybe he would be expendable uh, in Minnesota. 
but he leads all wild forwards in penalty killing time. So absolutely, there's some penalty killing utility there. And I mentioned that because of who he would probably be replacing in the Canucks lineup. And you look at the fourth line guys, and really the only reason that they are on the roster, like Nils Amon when he's in there, the only thing that he brings right now is penalty killing utility. And same mm-hmm. goes really for Phil Giuseppe, who was such a nice story out of training camp and earned that spot alongside Miller and Besser. Like he has just vanished as well. And even Sam Lafferty's play has dropped off to the point that Rick Tockett last week in Seattle on Thursday, before the morning skate, I was just talking about a bunch of things. And I asked him about his fourth line and he admitted like there is no identity there. And the the money part of the quote to me was to go a long way in the playoffs. You need a fourth line with an identity. So it's pretty clear. We know he loves his big defense. They've built that for him. I wonder if the Canucks are going to try to overhaul this fourth line here with a piece or pieces Mm -hmm. ahead of the trade deadline because it just doesn't model the way Rick Tockett wants his team to play right now. Yeah, as you mentioned, he's a 200-pounder on a team that doesn't have a lot of sizable uh, guys. He's also a UFA this coming summer, making $1.1 so he should be an easy piece to add, albeit if they're looking to do more, then the cap space starts to run a little bit thinner. Of course, they have uh, Carson Soucy on LTIR right now, so they do have some space there. We'll see if they can manage... um, manage that space through the final quarter of the season here. Uh, our Steve Baines playing on that third line with Lindholm now at center and Garland. And let's hear from the head coach who gave a rousing endorsement of the rookie from Surrey's first week in the NHL. I'm not completely satisfied if I'm going to be honest. And I feel like I could do better, a little bit better, but I, at the same time, I'm pretty proud of the way I've been playing. And I think there's, there's more for me to give and, and that's kind of the exciting thing. But at the same time, uh, I feel like I got some looks, some, some ch- scoring chances, and there's been some opportunity there, and, and I'm getting a good ice time. So I think it's, it's going to be a good recipe if I keep if I keep heading this way. I think good things will happen. That's Archdeep himself, and good to know that he's not satisfied. And, yeah, he had those two glorious scoring opportunities in his first game. In fact, I think his first game was his best game. It was, yeah, without yeah. without a doubt, and, and started that night on the third line. He earned the promotion in Seattle didn't do a lot with that the other night against Boston there were moments didn't love the holding the stick penalty 200 feet from his own net you know early in a game that's hyped up and all of a sudden you're putting your team down a man so uh you know hopefully that kind of thing can be eradicated from his game but three games two penalties uh the first one in Colorado I think was you know he didn't try to get in on the four check and a little over zealous maybe um still looking for his first point a couple of shots on goal and three shots through his first two games but you know they've put him in a position to succeed like we talked about the fourth line fourth line being a bit of a a ghost town right now you know he hasn't touched the fourth line is there a world in which when all the dust settles and joshua comes back you know that's where he slots in to sort of be that dog on a bone and and bring that energy i I think that's possible still for our steep baines uh but yeah i mean he's been all right i mean look we, the hard matchup against McKinnon uh, in his debut. That's a pretty big assignment. Yeah. And then the other night, you know, it's the Boston Bruins. He's two of his three games with the Bruins and the Colorado oh, Avalanche. Absolutely. And he's... a Seattle team that was firing on all cylinders. Yes. So it hasn't been an easy week in that regard. Funny, you almost want to pull him aside and say, son, it gets easier from well, here. <laughs> I, I thought this was kind of funny that for a guy who's played three games in the NHL now, you know, the father's trip, like there's a lot going on. Sunday was his first full practice 
with all of his teammates. He yeah. was on the ice at UBC on Friday, but it was optional, and the stars weren't out there. So he got three games under his belt before he got a full practice yes. with the rest of his teammates. Well, I, I got to say, we'll, we'll play the talking clip now. Uh, it's extraordinarily high praise for a guy I thought had one terrific game in Colorado and then a couple of, you know, middling yep. games, if you will. Here's talking on our Steve Baines. I'm a big fan. I like him a lot. I think there's a another level uh and that's when playing in the nhl he's earned a spot right now you know i don't know how long it's going to be maybe it's the rest of the year but he's earned a spot i know guys enjoy playing with him i've heard, i've had a couple of players come up to me individually say hey don't be afraid don't be afraid to throw him on my line so i think that's the ultimate compliment for that kid is uh, you know that a lot of players a lot of players want to play with him but he's also doing the little things and um that i love um really good on the forecheck and handle the puck and he's not scared he gets inside. Yeah, I mean, he's earned his spot, and maybe for the rest of the year. I mean, it's just, it's a little unconventional to be hearing a head coach speak in those terms about a rookie off such a small sample size. Now, that guys are asking to play on his line, great sign there. And I'm sure probably fueled some of those comments from Rick Tockett. And I'm glad he singled out his composure because really from the moment that he stepped on it, he may have been doing the duck thing with a lot of paddling underneath, but he looked pretty calm, pretty collected, like he was meant to be there, like he was ready for the moment. In some ways it kind of hearkened a Chris Tanef, a Brock Besser, the type of guys who stepped into the Canucks lineup and did not look out of place from the jump. I haven't confirmed it with JT, but it's my understanding that JT was one of the guys that, and that's like, he played with JT and Brock in Seattle in his second game. And so uh, kind of a fascinating wrinkle to all of this, that players are saying guys come up from the minors all the time, but you don't hear that, that veteran players want to play with a guy. So they gave him the opportunity. Uh, I'm with you though. I still think that the debut in Colorado was his best look. And the other thing too, is for a young guy that's trying, trying to find his way, he started against the Avs with Bluegren Garland then has two new line mates in Seattle and Miller and Besser. Right. Now the other day, Scott Garland again, but now he has Lindholm. So three different lines in three different games. Like that's hard to forge chemistry and through it all, uh, you know, impressive. Like take the local guy out of it and, and yes. the cultural aspect. I mean, those are all huge stories, but just in terms of the hockey player that Archie Baines is, uh, you know, kind of had that chance yesterday in the hallway after practice just to assess those first three games and that's where he said to be perfectly honest uh you know not fully satisfied loved that part of the answer but you know i asked him have you had do you feel like you've been able to play your game at this level and he said yeah i think for the most part uh you know the speed has not been an issue that it's faster obviously than the american hockey league but he thinks that he's been able to keep up in that regard uh, like the fact that he had been able to generate a little bit and you know he's been on the ice for three goals against and you and I'm not pinning them on him, but you want cut that down, cut the penalties down, and hopefully that somewhere along the line some people convert some of those opportunities that yeah. you've been able to create. It's a great point on the one practice and now three different sets of line mates. And, heck, it could be a fourth, Jeff, depending on how McKayef is doing alongside Pedersen. I wouldn't be surprised, especially after hearing talk and say that guys have asked to play with him, that he's earned his spot, and that he likes them on the forecheck, which, of course – is one of the staples. That's yep. something we can't do without. Uh, that's why Andre Kuzmenko is not here. And incidentally, Kuzmenko looks like a yeah. now healthy scratch for the Calgary of Flames. Or 
he got sick, he got scratched because of illness, and now he is practicing. They win his, the Battle of Alberta. The thirteenth forward, yeah. exactly, about not changing a a winning I lineup. I just mention Matt too that it's my understanding I didn't see with my own two eyes, but it's my understanding that both Dakota Joshua and Carson Susie skated again before practice on Sunday. I did see them skate in Seattle on Thursday. And that's encouraging at the very least. Tockett is just loath to give any updates at this time of the year. So when I mm-hmm. asked him, he just said, oh, they're making progress. They're getting closer. But uh, the fact that Dakota Joshua is back fully uniformed skating, like I don't think it's going to be the four to six weeks that maybe some people thought if it was a truly broken hand, but we still don't know the the, the full extent of the injury. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was my next question with regards to when Joshua comes back into the lineup. I mean, I think it stands to reason he's going to play with Connor Garland. They had such oh, great chemistry, yeah. whether Lindholm is the center, whether Bluger is the center. Does that push Baines to the Pedersen line? And does that recycle McKayev down to the fourth line where he's fighting for ice time with PDG and Lafferty? Because to me, that would be sort of the the cleanest way to go about things unless Ilya Mikheyev somehow breaks out here against Pittsburgh in LA this week. Yeah. Uh, boy, it feels like that ship has sailed. I'm, I'm not even sure what would constitute a breakout at this stage, but Hey, they take any uh, offensive contribution. Uh, yeah. I mean, at some point, maybe you get a look at Pedersen between Baines and Hoaglander and hope that the two wingers there, you know, a little bit of time spent together last year in Abbotsford, mm-hmm. some familiarity, but just more, similar styles in that they're fearless getting on the four check, try and get some pucks to Pedersen so that he can make some things happen because it just feels like offense is going to die on the stick of Ilya Mikheyev who had you know, and that's two the chances problem. there when it was two, nothing in the third period. And they came to him and of all the people to get those chances in this game. Uh, but they stuck with it and ultimately got the goals that they needed. But yeah, it's just, it's getting hard to watch McKayev on a, on a nightly basis. And that's the problem, Jeff, that just maybe Baines is a little more comfortable with his, with the puck on his stick right now, that that is a more useful component to the Leas Patterson line, especially if Niels Hoaglander is going to be on the other wing, as you say, Penguins in town Tuesday to face the Vancouver Canucks. Look, if, if, we talked about at the beginning of the month, Chef, they have a great test coming up because they play all these good teams in February, and then they play these desperate teams. And look no forward, look no further than uh, the Seattle Kraken on Thursday and how desperate they played. Look no further than a week ago today in Minnesota, that matinee, and how desperate the Wild were mm-hmm. in the third period. You know, Not to mention earlier in the month, we saw games against Detroit and Washington who were quite desperate. Is Pittsburgh still desperate? Nine points out with a bunch of teams to jump. Of course, no Jake Gensel tomorrow. That would have been a very delicious little sidebar, but he's not going to play for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, We may very well be looking at the Pittsburgh Penguins as we have known them for the last time here in Vancouver, depending on the way the rest of this regular season goes and whether Kyle Dubas feels like there's a requirement there to change things or, I mean, I think everybody says Sidney Crosby's going nowhere, but you've got to wonder about the rest of the Pittsburgh Penguins if they miss the playoffs again this season. Yeah, and I think this will be a telling week for them as they work their way through Western Canada, and if it continues to slide, then I think that'll tell Dubas all that he needs to know about this year's group. Uh, and, you know, I would think that Gensel goes uh, beyond that. Who knows? But, look, Sid can't play forever. And how many more visits? to this city will there be for 
you know, one of the true legends of our time. Uh, and I love the fact that this thing ties into that it's the 26th of February today, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. The game will be on the 27th. Right. And of course, the anniversary mm-hmm. of the Golden Goal on the 28th. 14 so, years ago. And with all due respect to Alex Burroughs and Kevin Biaxa, the biggest goal in the history oh, yeah. of Rogers Arena to win the Olympic gold medal okay let's get to today's menu it's brought to you by greta i know you had duties in seattle you missed a hell of a party i was disappointed about that i would have thursday at greta we had a blast so thank you to everybody there at 50 west cordova great spot to catch the game throughout the season quick walk to the rinker stadium go-to spot for food drinks fun before after the game make it a game night at greta 50 west cordova or at greta bar Dot com. As mentioned, we're going to talk to Green Man Force here in a second. The first time we have seen the Green Man back at Rogers Arena in eight years. He takes us through the entirety of how this came to be, including the mechanics of dropping the surprise on everyone at Rogers Arena. And there was a very tight circle. It was almost like a trade deadline seeker. It was a very tight circle of people who knew about this surprise performance. We will get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including some news from Vancouver Whitecaps FC, who begin their season Saturday at BC Place against Charlotte in the MLS opener. Of course, have already played in the CONCACAF Champions Cup as a tune-up to the regular season. We'll also talk to Irf Gafar. Irf's got some great info on Chris Tanev. We'll talk to Jack Gensel, Phil Kessel, where things have gone awfully quiet with Mm, Phil Kessel, Jeff. Uh, as well as Ilya Mikheyev and the agent Dan Milstein there wondering about the future of this player in Vancouver, not to mention Elias Pettersson and the calls that the Vancouver Canucks are now taking on their star centerman still unsigned less than two weeks to go prior to the trade deadline. Uh, Jeff, your first go here at Sports Interaction. Best bets. What you got on the menu here today? Well, if people enjoyed the Canucks and the Boston Bruins on Saturday night, and I know that the Canucks fans certainly enjoyed this game more than the one in Boston a couple of weeks ago, but what could this market handle a Canucks Bruins Stanley cup final 2.0? Oh my goodness. Talked about it last week for a moment. If you think this is a possibility <laughs> and we're not asking vengeance, the, the outcome here, just the fact that mm-hmm. two of them, if they got to the Stanley cup final, Right now, that matchup, 34-1. Ah, it's gone down a little. I think it was 36-1 to oh, when we checked in okay. on it last week. But uh, could you imagine how delicious that would be? <laughs> not, not, honestly, I'd have trouble wrapping my head around it. Uh, I am going not all as well with German giant Bayern Munich. I mean, this is a club that is accustomed to waltzing its way through the Bundesliga and elsewhere across Europe. And this weekend came word that Canadian Alfonso Davies will be heading to Real Madrid either this summer or next summer. Bayern faces Lazio in Champions League play on Tuesday. And with everything swirling around that club and having a difficult season, I'm going to take the draw, not brave enough to take Lazio to win, but I'm going to take the draw, paying out at 5.25. It happens to end 
tied after 90 minutes or so. That's your sports interaction best bet. Sports interaction, your homegrown sports book and casino featuring custom props, parlays you're not going to find anywhere anywhere else, plus a best-in-class casino, thousands of games and live dealers. For those of you on YouTube, scan the code there and get a 200% welcome bonus from Sakara some price sports interaction bet local must be 19 years of age. Please play responsibly. Green man force coming up next. Well, it had been eight years since we've seen them at Rogers Arena. Quite a surprise on Saturday, Jeff, when the members of the ESPN Sports Fan Hall of Fame, the Green Men, Force and Sully, showed up and were joined by Green Man Force here on Sakaris and Price. How you doing? Good, boys. How are you doing? That was a fun weekend. It sure <laughs> was. So tell us the genesis of all this. How did you guys make your triumphant return to Rogers oh. Arena? A lot of planning, uh, a lot of kicking around ideas, a lot of should we come back, share it over beers. Um, and yeah, it was the Canucks have been asking us for a couple of years. It's like, would you be interested in coming back? And we hummed and hawed and we really liked the way we went out, did our big retirement tour all over BC, going to WHL games and BCHL games. And I think it was six Canuck games our final season. And we thought we got a good reception and like, you know, let sleeping dogs lie. And uh, Sully now lives in Saskatoon. He's got a wife and two kids. So he's like doing his thing. So to get him out here logistically was tough. But the Canucks started the season so hot. Canucks reached out to us in October and said, hey, if we flew Sully in, would you be interested? And we said, yeah, but we kind of want to do it our way. So we wanted to pick the game. We wanted to pick how we entered. Um, So like right down to the Stone Cold Steve Austin entrance music. That was us. And uh, oh, man, it was a blast. I, I was nervous. I've never been nervous in the green suit before. And my, my, my mouth went completely dry right before we ran in. And that reception was on, I had goosebumps. Well, and I also understand this was uh, about showing off the green men to uh, new family members. Well, that's exactly it, right? We haven't been around in eight years. And I mean, when I started the green men, I was 21 and I fit in the suit very comfortably and reading online comments this past weekend have not been kind to me. Um, <laughs> you never want to do that, but I'm like, guys, I'm 35. I'm not that out of shape. <laughs> uh but yeah i was i was single sully was single at the time as i mentioned he's now married with two beautiful daughters um i'm now married and we're expecting our first uh, baby girl in june and my wife was a div one softball player in utah during that 2011 through 2015 run so she doesn't know the green man she wasn't a massive hockey fan at the time and so i that was my motivation for coming back was for her to see it firsthand so uh, she had a ticket. She was there on Saturday. She watched and she was thoroughly confused by the entire situation. Um, and yeah, she was, she did contribute all the, the signs we held up. She insisted she wanted to draw those because she didn't like my penmanship. So that was her contribution to the cause. Great. I, I love the element of surprise. Now I think Canucks Twitter kind of let us all down after we got those photos of Phil Kessel at the airport a couple of weeks ago, I thought, I mean, I'm guessing Sully wasn't wearing his outfit when he flew in from, from Saskatoon, but I thought somebody might've picked up on that, but, but, and, and look, I, this kind of sounds like a dumb question, but we're also talking about two grown men in body suits that rub up yeah. against plexiglass. I, I guess there are no dumb questions uh, when we put it in that context, but when do you become the green man? Because the element of surprise was there. Like, I don't imagine you both rode sky training in full suits on, on Saturday. Do you just pop into like a Rogers arena 
bathroom and suit up? Or did the Canucks have a, a room for you? Because I did love that element of surprise that you knew it was coming, but nobody else did. It was awesome. Uh, so in previous years, when we were doing our Green Man thing, like the Green Man lore is that we would change at the Costco parking lot across the street, run across the street in the green suits, and then run into the arena. And that's kind of how people saw us. Uh, for us to come back, we're like, look, we kind of need like a, a room to change in where we can hold our props and then time it out properly. So that was our idea is like the first TV timeout, it'll kind of give them an intro if they want to. Um, Al Murdoch actually wanted to do the voice of God thing for us, which we thought was so cool. And then the timing was just perfect of the 14 minute mark. That's right when Van Riemsdyk took the penalty. That obviously was not planned. And we entered and ran down and just went wild. It was it was so much fun. And yeah, the timing couldn't be perfect. The lack of penalties and the lack of goals until late in the game was extremely <laughs> concerning, but we made the most of it. Yeah, and the Van Riemsdyk thing was terrific. Like you could just see him stifling his own laughter there. So uh, good on you. It's not just the fans, even the players uh, were recognizing that you were around and, and getting a kick out of it. Hey, Force, um, how much are you guys aware of the reaction of the crowd, the reaction of, uh, in this case, Van Riemsdyk and the Bruins penalty box? How much, because I know they're not exactly see-through, but how much are you guys aware of the reaction to you guys as you're performing? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a blur. I totally forgot that aspect of it. Like, it's been eight years. So running down, I was so concerned running down the stairs after our intro that I was going to trip. I was just I was like, that was my main focus is do not fall on national television. Uh, but getting down to the box, it's kind of right by the ice. You, I could see JVR kind of smirking, so I knew something was happening. And then once you can kind of feel that crowd pop, you know that you're on the screen. Um, the seats now with the new massive uh, scoreboard, we couldn't really tell what was going on. So we would kind of just sense throughout the game, anytime a big cheer happened in between plays, we assumed we were on camera and just started dancing and doing our green spandex thing. And I think Sully set a new record for like 15 handstands. He must be sore this week. <laughs> I was going to say, was it like riding a bike? Uh it was i'm I, i'm very sore i'm not gonna lie like I've, i got a bad knee it's like i should have worn a knee brace um sully was very nervous he was practicing handstands in our changing room before the game so yeah it was cool but yeah it's the timing of that jvr penalty kind of brought us right back into the zone uh, the one other fun part of it and we've always talked about it as green men is you go around you're high-fiving people and stuff you change out of the suit after the game and you're walking the street as a normie and it doesn't it you can't click it off like i went to high five strangers and they're like it's vancouver that doesn't fly and it's just <laughs> it, it's a weird mentality to transfix now uh, once upon a time and we have a little bit of the backstory the seats there beside the penalty box i believe sully's father had those as season tickets yeah but no longer does so did the canucks hold those seats back for you guys for that game yeah, so uh, Sully's dad gave up the tickets, in, I believe, 2015. He had them since 1990, and uh, when we retired in 2015, he let them go. Uh, he had the L, where he would take two clients and wine and dine them and talk over their shoulder because he owns a roofing company on the North Shore. Um, and so when we approached the Canucks, or they approached us, we said, yeah, but it's under the condition we need those seats back. And um, from, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say this, but there are some season ticket members who have those seats. And they realized the power position they were in, and they got a lot out of it. They leveraged it hard. <laughs> and uh, I heard that they scored themselves some free playoff tickets as a result for giving it up. Ah, well done. Well yeah. done. Well, good on them for giving it up, because really, the bit needs to be there. Absolutely. Right yeah, yeah. The, the Canucks did float it. Like, could it work somewhere else? No, it, it absolutely cannot. It, it um, had to be those seats. 
I'll say this, you're still beloved across the continent. Did you see all the big sports media and social media accounts that were uh, marking your return? Uh, I was telling you guys before we were on air that I didn't tell anybody. My wife knew, Sully's wife knew, and Sully's parents knew. So I, it was awesome to have some of my friends being like, are you kidding me? You didn't tell me this? <laughs> uh, so when I got back to my phone, like I've never had that many text messages before. It was wild. So that in, in itself was actually really exciting. And then, yeah, to see all these major sports accounts posting us across the board. And, um, yeah, you just kind of hope that you're, like, looking a little svelte in the green suit if you're going to be splayed out across national TV. And it, it seemed to work out for the most part. But, well, yeah, my, my Twitter has not stopped blowing up. Yeah, as you mentioned, you're uh, 35 now, a little bigger. Bigger in all the right areas, though, of oh, course. Yeah. So I'll yeah. tell you that um, for free. <laughs> um, the um, – the bits and the props for those who missed them all on yeah. Saturday. What did you roll out? Uh, yeah, the lack of penalties was it was hurting. So in the third period, we just started like dumping them all. Uh, the one that I don't think got any TV time we were really excited for is we're famous for doing our Canuck cutouts and you pick a player or a fan from the opposing team. And we had Bill Burr in a Canucks jersey and he had played Vancouver the night before. So we were hoping he was going to be at the game and it never made TV. So that, that one's too bad. Uh, the other one, Sully brought a giant inflatable unicorn, and then I had a giant mop bucket, and we just gave him like a unicorn shower. It made no sense. It's a typical green man. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do we have? We had some uh, – well, we brought back the waffles. That was right. the one in overtime with Trent Frederick, and, I mean, that's a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, going over – I felt that was nostalgia. Going across the street to Costco like 30 minutes before puck drop and buying a giant box of Oh, no, waffles that was pretty cool mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah it was mostly just dance moves we had it all planned out we we did the bill belichick hoodies mm-hmm. uh, he always has the cut off sleeves i don't know if that made tv and we had the belichick headset and the clipboard that said mac jones is elite uh so we had some fun yeah and you had the uh biggest homer sign with homer <laughs> simpson and jack edwards the Bruins play-by-play guy. That was a that was a bit of a risky one. I knew the Canucks were never going to show it on the big screen. I knew it wasn't going to make TV, but I wanted to put it out on social media. And um, as I expected, the Bruins fans are vicious. <laughs> yes, I, I would suspect so. Okay, well, last question here for us. I mean, yeah. they're going to the playoffs. You're part of the club's DNA and part of the crowd. What do you think? Green men coming back in April? I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say yes. I have scouts honor that we actually don't know. I mean, Sully live in Saskatoon, working a Monday to Friday. Logistically, it is extremely tough. But the Canucks have dabbled and said, hey, like, if you are interested, let us know. And after that reception on Saturday and the overwhelming response on social media over the last, like, 48 hours, it's going to be pretty hard to say no. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you see us back at the playoffs for at least one game. But who knows? Yeah, well, we'd love to see you, and uh, congratulations to you and Mrs. Force, mm-hmm. because we'll have a third little green gal in a little baby uh, coming suit. in yes. June, so you're going to need the little green suit at some point <laughs> as well. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Jeff. You guys are the best. Secure some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And right now at Infinity Langley, the 2024 QX80 finances low as 0% plus $8,000 non-stack cash. The 2023 QX50 and the QX55 lease 1.99% all terms and trims plus $1,500 bonus cash. As they say, it's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. We're asking you, is JT Miller the... Team MVP, yes or no? You can vote at Secure Some Price. 
on Twitter and YouTube. Speaking of, let's get to hashtags, mm. the best and worst of Twitter.com. Jeff Patterson, lead us off. Uh, this one's from the NHL Public Relations Department at PR underscore NHL. Valerie Nachushkin has been cleared by the NHL and the Players Association Players Assistance Program to resume practicing with the team, Matt. This is big news for the Colorado Avalanche. Doesn't mean he gets plugged in right away, but we're talking about a guy who has 22 goals, 40 points, and we always talk around this time of the year about you know trade deadline acquisitions sort of from within. That's an absolute boost to an Avalanche team that, uh, as the Canucks saw last week, and uh, others have seen all season long. Like They still have their sights set on being Stanley Cup champs. They've got uh, some really nice pieces there, and getting Nachushkin healthy and back, uh, that's a big uh, boost It's a huge be- because going into that game, Jeff, and really for most of the season, and I'm sure it will continue unless we see a, another move here from the Avalanche between now and the trade deadline, but depth scoring has been a matter there. Yeah. Uh, Port Moody's Ryan Johansson, despite the two goals against the Canucks, has not been the solution there. At second-line center, they're trying Zach Parisi uh, in that role. Well, just the fact they had to go out and get Zach Parisi. Well, that's it. Um, So you're looking at a team. I mean, Colton and O'Connor on the third line are doing their business with Miles Wood. But they, you know, it's funny to say because you think of that team, you think of McKinnon and Rantanen and McCarr and all the offensive genius in that lineup. But, um, you know, it falls off pretty quickly, particularly with Landeskog out. And there is, uh, I think, a fair chance you're going to see him in the playoffs. But well, and, when, they, when they won the Cup, they had Kadri, they had Brokowski, right. they had JT Confer. Right. Like, none of those guys around, and they haven't really been able to replace them. And uh, you do wonder whether they're going to be looking at a centerman between now and the deadline. At Whitecaps FC, it's official. Captain Ryan Galtz, yeah. yeah, announced at a season ticket holder event on Friday at the convention center. Our friend Mr. Price was your uh, co-host there with Toss Ricketts. Vanny took to the mic and had some spirited words uh, for the faithful. And look, Russell Tybert had a magnificent run as the captain of this franchise. Of course, a career cap. He's been here since the beginning, came up in the... Uh, academy system and has been a true credit to our community but i think it was time to hand over the armband particularly to the caps best player and so ryan gold an inspired choice jeff the caps start this I weekend yeah. i mean mls the season that never I should really know better ends. by now but it always <laughs> sneaks up on me it just it does february well and, and, and here's the other thing they could have played this weekend. They were one of the teams yes, on the sidelines right. as the opening opening weekend yeah. of MLS began over the weekend. So the Caps are at it Saturday. They're home to Charlotte. It is a 4.30 start at BC Play Stadium. And uh, speaking of the um, Caps, uh, Marie Huey, who sings yes. the anthem for the yes. Caps, of course she sings the anthem at Rogers Arena as well, just a terrible story. Um, she's in Hong Kong ready to perform. And if you follow Marie on social media, you've seen uh, she's posted her performances from different venues in Hong Kong. Her partner, Chris, who's a member of Vancouver Fire and Rescue, is recovering from a limb amputation, necrotizing fasciitis, a uh, flesh-eating disease. They have started a GoFundMe page and they're uh, above their goal, but we want to send our absolute best to Marie and to her husband, Chris, after what can only be a terrifying 
matter, particularly overseas. If you're uh, not familiar, necrotizing fasciitis, a bacterial infection that can spread quickly and even cause death if uh, your skin becomes red, warm, swollen, very painful, uh, it's best to get this checked out. This is often, there were uh, uh, football players and football trainers would also often talk about staph infections from those big turf burns on the artificial turf, the old artificial turf, which was unforgiving when you slid on it. So wishing Marie and Chris absolutely the best. Yeah. What a terrifying episode. No, I'm glad you brought that one up. Uh, I've got one from at TSN Hockey, and this is a link to a Rick Westhead story. Federal Sport Minister Carla Qualtrow calling on Hockey Canada to create a public registry of misconduct sanctions assessed to players, coaches, and officials. Like, this is one of those things, man. How has this not happened? It's 2024. How, when you think uh, of, like, well, let's go back to Graham James, but how is like, it? just seems like such a simple act to have some sort of public registry where you recognize that if people have you know, been flagged, uh-huh. that you can see it for yourself. Stunning that this hasn't already taken place. Uh, good on Minister Qualtrough. If you don't know Carla Qualtrough, she's first and foremost the, M- the member of parliament from Delta. Mm-hmm. She is in her second tour as sports minister and um, uniquely qualified as a former Paralympic Swimmer, so good on her for pushing that file. And yes, absolutely astonished that we didn't have something like that already in this country, as you say, following Graham James at the AHL, the American Hockey League. <whistles> Cody Hodson with goals in back to back games. The former Canuck top prospect, who, if you're not familiar, Retired from hockey in 2017 with a condition called malignant hyperthermia, is on the comeback trail. He's on a tryout with the Milwaukee Admirals of the AHL, the Nashville Predators farm team, from which, of course, he'd been working with the Nashville Predators, uh, played with them, and then worked for them in retirement. He is 34 years old on the comeback trail, and that's, speaking of astonishing, Jeff, I just, you know, a kid I covered at the World Juniors that he's yeah, 34 years old. He's up to three goals in five games. <laughs> Wouldn't it be something if oh. he touches NHL ice again? Oh, it'd be incredible. Uh, and I love the fact that, you know, he got to a place where he was healthy enough and recognized, I I want to give it another go. I don't want to have the game yeah. stripped away from me if it's going to, you know, I want to go out on my own terms. And on and your own terms, right. The other thing, too, is he's part of a Milwaukee Admirals team that won 19 in a row. They had the streak end recently, but like, what a great position for wow. him to jump on board with a team that's been as good as any team in the American Hockey League. I was going to say, tough lineup to crack here. <laughs> yeah. And sure enough, he's not only cracked it, but in five games has three goals. So good on Cody, wishing the best. And speaking of win streaks, at UBC T-Birds, men's hockey commanding 4 nothing game three win over the Golden Bears to advance to next week's Canada West final at home against the defending champion Calgary Dinos. Now, UBC's had a great season under Sven Buchenchan. They had home ice, and they lost on Friday in the opener. Best of three. All of a sudden, you're back against the wall. Mm. But uh, they rose to the challenge. They won Saturday 
and then they won the winner-take-all on Sunday. So on to the Canada West Final. There'll be hockey out on the Point Grey campus again next weekend against Calgary. And, uh, of course, the basketball getting going as well here. Um, So it's an exciting time on campus for these uh, big uh, U-sport, team sport playoffs. And lastly from me, at Metomic, just a fun account. Okay, credit where it's due. Don Mattingly leaning into a 30-year-old Simpson meme by keeping his beard but shaving off his sideburns is the most I've ever liked him. Yeah, the Blue Jays bench coach showed up to spring training with a big, huge white beard, (laughs) but upon closer inspection, no attachments, no sideburns. If you're familiar, and you have to go very far back here in Simpsons lore... But the storyline is evil Mr. Burns buys himself a baseball team, hires the best in class, players like Daryl Strawberry and Keith Hernandez and Don Mattingly, and then assumes a George Steinbrenner-like persona of no facial hair and keeps telling Mattingly to cut those sideburns. Well, Mattingly cuts the sideburns and keeps getting told Mattingly cut those sideburns, (laughs) which leads to all sorts of hilarity with the different hairstyles. That he walks out in. Anyways, hell of a bit from Don Mattingly here all these years later. Hey, it's spring training. It is a long slog, Jeff. A lot of games, a lot of BP, a lot of infield practice over 40-plus days in the Florida sun. You got to keep it light and fun, and Don Mattingly is doing just that. that's a lot of white facial hair. It like There's sure a little is. bit of gray sprinkled in, but it almost looked fake when I saw it for the first time. But, it looks uh, like Santa Claus. It does, yeah. And that's hashtags for today. Well, looky, here we go. One of your stable mates on Rinkway, <laughs> Irfan Gafaris. You're not sick of Jeff Getter? Absolutely not. It's been great. <laughs> yes, it has been fun. You guys have been doing a fantastic uh, job on rink fights. And, uh, of course, some more to come here as the Vancouver Canucks in the final quarter of their season. But prior to that, Earth, we have this whole business of trade deadline, which is really heating up less than two weeks, a week from Friday, everybody, March 8th, the trade deadline. And I understand uh, you got a Chris Tanif update for us. Yeah, I definitely think the Canucks are, are, are still very much in or once again kind of going back towards the Flames and, and, and in hopes of maybe trying to make something work now. We know the asking price for the Flames is high. Obviously, if they do get a first-round pick, that's where they will move him. But I think now with more teams you know, coming forward and maybe being able to offer that second-round pick, you know, the Flames are going to have a decision to make here what they want to do. Now, Chris Tanev does have attempt 10 team no trade list we know the Canucks obviously aren't on that if if he is willing to come back here but I think at some point it's going to be up to the Calgary Flames if they do have a few offers for Chris Tanev go to Tanev and say okay maybe they're going to do right by him and say where do you want to go well it's an interesting one to keep an eye on I I was going to ask you I know you've talked to someone close to Chris would Vancouver be his preference? I, I understand he's picked up and moved the offseason home back to uh, his hometown of Toronto, but would Vancouver be the preference or are there other teams out there that would be equal or or ahead of Vancouver on his wish list? Well, honestly, I think for where he is in his career right now, it's a win. 
right? If you can go to a team where you really believe you've got a shot at winning the Stanley Cup, I think that that's probably the first thing on your mind. Now, the re-signing and, and where he's going to re-sign this summer, I think he might, you know, go to free agency and, and, and kind of test those waters there. But you look at teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs that you just mentioned, you know, maybe even the Boston Bruins, the Dallas Stars, and it is an interesting one to keep an eye on. And obviously here in Vancouver as well. Well, I, I saw Elliot Friedman said the Canucks are not really interested in another big price for a rental. So would Tanif be brought back with the understanding, hope, expectation that he would sign a contract extension here? Well, it all depends on the price, right? If Chris Tanev is looking to get, I know he's made a lot of money in his career, but this is probably his last contract where he's going to make some decent coin. So you look at it from his standpoint, are the Canucks maybe going to hope for one of those quote unquote hometown discounts from a guy that, you know, is obviously beloved by this community and, and the fan base. But you know, if you're Chris Tanev, it's your last chance to make a contract. We know his injury history. Obviously, you don't want to bring it up, but it is there. You know, he's a guy that's going to want to cash in as well. And it's funny, too, the Flames making life a little more difficult for Craig Conroy. I mean, they win the Battle of Alberta on the weekend. They beat Boston last week. And so when it looked like maybe they were bowing out, uh, you know, they're hanging in the mix there. But I do think that uh, obviously the Flames have to take a long-term view here. Uh, speaking of views, we haven't had one of Phil Kessel in a while. I'm getting lots of people asking me. You guys probably are as well. Uh, was he one of the green men the other night? Was he in the, the spandex <laughs> suit there at the rink? Who knows? But are you hearing anything about Phil Kessel? Sully and Force would, would love if Phil Kessel would join them as one of the green men sitting beside the penalty box. Do we, want Phil in, do we want him in a bodysuit? Uh, not, not entirely sure. I think the Canucks are still going to need him in that conditioning suit out in Abbotsford, to be completely honest. I just I think the update is exactly that. He's going to continue skating. Um, he's going to try and get into whatever peak position the Canucks deem that they want to see from him. But uh, as far as whether there's been a contract talk or anything like that, I, I just still I still very much so think it's it's a it's a wait and see movement with Phil Kessel. It is wild though. Like Abbotsford yeah. went out on the road. They went down to California. I don't assume that uh, he was part of the traveling party. He's not under contract. So what like what has he been up to? And I know that the Canucks as an organization have sort of put the the cone of silence over any sort of update around this guy. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, look, I, the March eighth deadline, right? He's got to sign by then in order to be eligible for playoff games. So there's 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 another deadline that the Canucks are going to be looking at with or in regards to Phil Kessel, but. Um, yeah, he's still going to skate. I mean, is he going to come up here? I, I don't know. They're going to have to offer him a contract, obviously. So I, I just very much so think that it's it's still a very it's it's a very much wait and see movement to see what's it, happening there. Is he sort of Plan B, Earth? If they yeah. can't land the forward, they're hoping to land. I think he was always going to be that. I think it's it was a great story when you know Canucks Twitter was set ablaze with him arriving at the airport and then them having to put out a statement and him going to get the the quote-unquote tryout or whatever it might be in Abbotsford. Let's call it an open workout because people mm -hmm. have been able to go and watch it. But as far as that goes, like I think that he's an option for them. I think that there's mutual interest from both parties. Rick Tockett loves them. Um, you know the history with you know Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin and Phil Kessel. So if they're not going to go get the big four that, that they want or maybe in the defenseman that they want, but they want to add someone, it's that's probably your guy. Gensel is here to stay with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Pittsburgh nine out in the Eastern Conference wildcard race with four teams to jump, three teams to jump here, Irf. Uh, what's the latest on Gensel? And uh, is there still a world where the Vancouver Canucks could make that make that deal? 
Yeah, with Jim Rutherford at the helm of the Vancouver Canucks, I think I think anything's possible in regards to making a trade or, or players. And when, when you look at you know Jake Gensel, there's no secret he's a he's one of the prize picks for anyone that is, thinks their team is good enough to make a run. And we know the history here, obviously, you know, with the Canucks and and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, it's just the asking price, right? And obviously, you know, he's out right now; he's not playing. So, you know, it's being reported that it's multiple first-round picks, or is it a player? You know, we've heard his name so much come up in trade rumors, and that's a guy like Niels Hoaglander. Now, you have to—if you're the Vancouver Canucks—you have to be very careful with this because Hoaglander is loved by his teammates. Guys love playing with him. Um, he's on a very team-friendly contract. He's going to put up up to 20, 25 goals this season. So. He's a guy that you can move up and down on the lineup. But if you're the Canucks and you look at it and say, are we going to get a guy that's a bona fide, you know, score in the NHL that can definitely help us, that has that playoff pedigree, are you going to try and make a move there? They don't have the first round picks to give up for him right now. So is it going to be a second and something? But as far as I know right now, the Canucks are still very much so in the mix there. Well, it would have been wild if uh, yeah. Gensel had been healthy coming through Vancouver here on Tuesday, and then they work their way uh, through Alberta. And, of course, the Oilers have been linked to him as well. Uh, still, I think just the mere fact that the Penguins are in town, certainly the the hype train will uh, uh, present itself. So uh, this trade talk's not going away, obviously, even with uh, Gensel on the shelf for the next couple of weeks. No, absolutely not. And, I mean, Jeff, like, you cover this team every single day as well. Matt, you watch every every day as well. Like, for me, the, there is a fit there, but it, it's almost like you don't really want to – touch something that's going so good. Like I, I wouldn't trade Hong, uh, Hogan if I was you guys, or if I was them. Yeah. You say things are going well and they are, I mean, the Canucks a good win over Boston the other day, back on top of the national hockey league standings. But we also saw it on Saturday that mm -hmm. Ilya Mikheyev is on the wing of Elias Pettersson and Irf, you were down in Seattle the other night. When, and so was I, when Mikheyev was impossible to find, barely played in the third period, seven minutes of ice time, got back to 14 on Saturday, had a couple of chances in the third period, but that just doesn't feel like a long-term fit for a team that sees itself as a contender. Ilya Mikheyev, the drought is up to 27 goals. I think it is now one in his last 31. What do they do with this guy? Where does this go moving forward for Ilya Mikheyev and the Vancouver Canucks? Well, it's funny because earlier in the season, we asked that question about his 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 Russian <laughs> counterpart and when, what happened there. He ended up being moved for Elias Lindholm, but... I know that there's been discussions with, you know, his camp and, and the Vancouver Canucks and as to what was going to happen and maybe about some playing time, right? So you look at it and he goes, he gets moved up to play with Elias Pettersson and he still was just, he wasn't very effective. He looks like he's just very hesitant. He's not the same forechecking guy that there was in Toronto. He doesn't play hard when he's on the ice. He doesn't even touch the puck. And that's got to be tough for a head coach to be able to go and look at your bench and say, I can't put this guy out. This is a big game. You know, he's a guy that's making a lot of money and I can't put him out. Now, if the Canucks are able to somehow figure out a way where there's a world where they're able to move him, I think that they definitely explore that avenue, to be completely honest, because you go into the playoffs, you have a guy that's hesitant on the puck, those hard puck battles. You know, the Western Conference is tough. It's going to be a grind for this team to get there. And right now, Ilya Mikheyev has done nothing to prove that he's able to be relied upon from his head coach in big game situations. Right. And also, I mean, we're all trying to figure out what's going on inside Elias Pettersson's head these days. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, he can't be thrilled uh, that he's been saddled with a guy that just cannot finish at this level. No, and I think that that's a tough part for Elias Pettersson too because he's dealing with so much talk everywhere else. There's a lot of noise <laughs> around old number 40 in these parts and around the National Hockey League right now. So I thought he was 
decent in the third period. That's Elias Pettersson I'm talking. He had a good third period. The first and second weren't really there, but he's also had a revolving door of line mates as well. So they're going to have to figure something out here. And I, I really do think that he likes to fit with Hoaglander. I think they should go back to Lindholm on that line and just let them play. But they're trying to find options. They're trying to find matchup options. They've got a lot of tough games coming up. And this is a test for what Rick Tockett wants his team to look like in the playoffs. If they don't go out and make a move, he's got to figure it out here quick. Uh, has Milstein gotten involved, the agent on this, Earth? I think that there was a meeting between Milstein and Alvina. I, th- I think they did have a chat. I mean, look, I think that the way that he was playing with so much noise around Ilya Mikheyev and, and what was going on, I-, I think that, you know, there definitely was a talk. I mean, his ice time went up, obviously, against the Boston Bruins. So, you know, that there's definitely something there. And whether that's Rick Tockett saying, here, this is what we have, and this is what this is what we're working with here, we're going to give him an opportunity to play with a really good player, and let's see if he can go out there and and, and prove that, you know, he can compete and, and play at this high level. And again, there, there's just more times than not when Ilya Mikheyev hits the ice, there's just not much going on for him. Mm-hmm. I got I got to admit, guys, that like there was no morning skate because of the 4 o'clock start. So when warm-up started on Saturday – and Mikheyev's back with Pedersen after the game in Seattle. Like, I honestly thought we may have got to that point where Mikheyev was coming right out of the lineup. And so when I see him on the wing with Pedersen, I was like, what are we doing does, here? Does anybody think that could be a showcase or was intended to be a showcase? Earth? I mean, here, here's the thing about showcases. you got to go out and play. <laughs> like, you got to go out and produce if a team wants you. Like, you look, you know, with the Andre Kuzmenko saga, and then he scores. Right. Mm-hmm. And then and then I think that you look at it. If if you're a guy that, you know, is your name's been in the trade rumors, you're not playing well, you're going to go out and, you know, in the back of your mind, you know, your agents meeting with your with your general manager and your head coach and things like that. You're going to want to go out and show out and, and, and play well. But it's just it's it's tough. It's just hockey just looks very difficult for Mikheyev right now. Yeah, it does. It does. Good point. Um, on Patterson. And look, everybody around this scenario has acknowledged that it is a little unusual, irregular, to have a restricted free agent who has that kind of money just awaiting his signature being unsigned at this point of the season. Now, for me, it's sort of the regular course of business if you're an opposing GM and you see this situation playing out to make a call to Vancouver and say, hey, what's going on with Patterson? My question is, do you think Pedersen is prepared for that? This whole next uh, wave of discussion, that narrative about him and that teams are calling in on him and the Vancouver Canucks continue to say, oh, we're still trying to sign him. Do you think yeah. that this has any kind of unsettling effect on Pedersen or the club? I think it's going to have an unsettling effect on both, to be completely honest. I, the one thing I will say is before the season started, Elias Pettersson and his camp remained the same, basically saying that we're not going to talk about it till the end of this season. The problem is, is that we're all reporters. We, we do our jobs and things come out, right? Whether it was a contract offer of upwards of $96 million to $100 million for Elias Pettersson or the semantics of them just saying, okay, here's what we're willing to pay him. We're going to sign it and get it done when you're ready to get it done. I think the Canucks did want an answer around the deadline from him as to what he was going to do. Same with the Calgary Flames, and, and they're one of their big guys in Noah Hannafin. They're, they're, there was some stuff going on there where they did want, you know, they're, they're going to want an answer. I think if you're an opposing GM, you're not doing your due diligence by calling the Vancouver Canucks. I think that that is your job to call and say, maybe let's, well, let's prepare for this. Like, this is going down an avenue where we really haven't seen. Like, you look at the Matthew Kachuk saga in Calgary – and how things kind of worked out there. 
you know, if it gets down to that point where there's going to be a decision made, at least Pedersen might have some power, right? Because the opposing team that's going to want it, or he's going to go to it, if there is a team, he's going to want to be able to resign there. So that's another thing that the Canucks are going to have to look at. I think their focus right now is let's try and sign him. If it doesn't work now, let's try in the offseason. But for Elias Pedersen, I mean, Jeff, you know him pretty well from being in the room and things like that. Like, you know, he's just a different dude. He really is. He's to himself. He's very quiet. Um, I think early on in his career, things affected him a little bit more than they do now. But this one, it's, it's, it's a story that won't go away. Well, and I think, too, guys, for me at least, like the fact that other GMs are calling, I'm like, absolutely, that's their job. Like, they've mm-hmm. got to stay on top of everything. But it's the fact that they're calling and asking, like, what exactly is going on out there in Vancouver? Like, I do mm-hmm. think that the the nature of these calls maybe is a little different than, hey, is your star player available? It's like, what's going on with your star player? Well, that's the biggest thing, right? It, it, I think it's what's going on is more so. I, I don't think the Canucks are going to trade him at the down. Jim Rutherford came out and said that they're not going to move him, right? I mean, it, stranger things have happened in the National Hockey League, but Elias Pettersson, for all accounts, is not getting moved at the NHL trade deadline. I, I just don't think yeah. that's going to happen. It's preparing for life after the playoffs and, and yeah. into the summer. And if you're an NHL GM, you have to make that phone call. Well, a couple of things here. Number one, you're right, Irv. He's got a ton of leverage. If it gets to the point of this season being over, not wanting to sign an extension here, and a trade being the course of action, because, of course, whomever is acquiring him doesn't want to be in the Vancouver Canucks boat and is going to want that extension. Uh, The other problem there is you pretty much need to get a first-line center back. Do you not? I mean, in, unless you, unless maybe you pivot to Lindholm and feel like Miller Lindholm down the middle is good enough, you would have a gaping organizational hole for a first line center. So it also limits the types of trade that you would make, unless you think you can make a volume trade, get back a whole bunch of assets, maybe draft that next first line center. But is that a fair read on where yeah. this goer? Absolutely. I mean, you just look at the ages of, Miller and what Lindholm is probably going to sign a very is a lengthy extension somewhere, whether it's going to be in Vancouver and they pivot to him or he goes out in free agency. They, that number is going to start at eight million. So are the Canucks really, really willing to be able to pay two guys that are going to be well into their 30s halfway through their deals, you know, eight million dollars a piece, you know, when this league is getting younger and 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 things like that. You know, Lindholm's a great yeah, great PK guy. Um, you know, he's scored at this level we do know that the power play has been a little bit awkward he kind of just skates around really doesn't do much because they don't get on the puck but other than that they're gonna have to figure that out so I, I definitely do think that would be their need so if you go just go around just by that going around and looking at teams that might be able to have the cap space and, and might look at being able to trade their number one center it's got to be it's got to be a mass a, a mammoth move here yeah. in the national hockey league yeah uh great stuff Earth. thank you for the time here today we'll look for you with jeff on rinkway and we'll catch up next week All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. Quote, it's Grey Cup or bust. That from BC Lions quarterback Vernon Adams late last week after signing his contract extension. And I suspect you'll be hearing more about the 2024 Grey Cup here at BC Place in the days ahead. Uh, As Farhan Lalji reported, Vernon Adams took 
Wes. He is not one of the top three paid quarterbacks in the CFL, and he addressed that saying, quote, I knew for us to get the players, Hollins, Hatcher, Katoy, Sione, Tuyama, all these guys, you know, I knew I had to take less. I couldn't be in the top three. Vernon went on to say he needs to cut back his interceptions, take better care of the ball. That is his mission for 2024. And um, Lions actually added uh, some players, including Mahaya Tuyama, the brother of Sione, who plays offensive guard, spent some time down at LSU. So team coming together here. Looking forward to training camp coming up on the football side of things. South. I just, I love the fact that Vernon Adams showed up for his media duties with a hoodie that had pictures of his offensive line. Yeah. How about that? Huh? Like that'll go a long way. Well, and you know, one of the things about playing that position is you have to be a leader, right? Like there is, there is no option there. Everybody is going to look to the quarterback. So it's a tough spot because when things go well, you have got to, deflect the credit and praise others. And when things go poorly, you've got to take it on your shoulders. No, he has been absolutely the model uh, quarterback field general for the BC Lions since taking over from Nathan Rourke. Did you see what happened south of the border with the NFL salary cap? Jeff, it went up more than $30 million. The NFL salary cap is now more than a quarter billion dollars. Two hundred. And fifty-five point four million. It had the don't, ad, don't tell Alan Walsh. It had Alan Walsh <laughs> tweeting about how little the <laughs> NHL cap has gone up, uh, comparatively speaking. So, for some teams like the Seahawks, who thought they might have some real cap issues and might need to cut some players, I'm sure that was welcome news on Friday. And yet, it may mean. It may still mean no more sugar for Russell Wilson. Pro Football Talk reporting that the former Seahawks starter, if he's willing to sign a one-year league minimum $1.21 million deal for 2024, there would be a number of teams looking to make him their starting quarterback. Of course, he would be collecting a $39 million guarantee from the Denver Broncos. So, Jeff, he has a little financial flexibility and leeway there. He's going to be okay with if all those bathrooms He's going to be okay. And, he's going to yeah. bet on himself. He's going to sell the Denver mansion. Oh, okay. He's going to bet on himself for a million plus for this year, bank that $39 million guarantee, and see if he can rejuvenate his career away from Sean Payton, the big meanie, and somewhere else in the NFL willing to make him a starting quarterback. <laughs> On to golf, where we both, look, we're two months into the PGA Tour season, Jeff, and these leaderboards haven't exactly been compelling. I mean, we had a huge interest in Vic <laughs> Taylor say, yeah. for uh, for our market, but yeah. in terms of the National League, you're starting to, it's starting to show up now, the loss of guys like John Rahm and some of these other great players yep. who are over on live. But a story I think anybody can get behind from this past weekend at the Mexico Open. Yeah, so a guy by the name of Jake Knapp, 29-year-old from Southern California. Uh, fascinating on a couple of levels. One is he wins. Now, he's third in San Diego at the Farmers a couple of weeks ago. So, clearly, he's got game. He's out on tour. Knocked on the door in San Diego. Wins at the Mexico Open. Matt, he hit two fairways in the final round. Yep. Since the PGA Tour has started keeping detailed statistics, no tournament winner 
has hit fewer fairways in the final round and gone on to win. So this is my kind of golfer. Yes. I can't hit the fairway. Well, just look at him, though. He's jacked. He can muscle <laughs> it out of the rough if well, need be. So that's part of his story as well, that he had some success here on PGA Tour Canada, but those purses Three-time winner up here. Purses don't go all that no, far. No, And so he wanted to pursue his dream. He was starting to run low on funds. So what does he do? He works as a bouncer at a nightclub so that he can work nights and hone his game during the day. Now, some people, if you watch the golf over the weekend, you probably saw he had an Anaheim Ducks logo on his sleeve. Yep. Kind of curious. Bit odd. Maybe not so much. Again, he's from Southern California. Big hockey fan. Now, apparently, as the story goes, he played a casual round at his home club in SoCal and got paired with some rando, or so he thought. They start talking. Hockey comes up. They have a good discussion. And the guy that he's playing with says, I just happened to be the president and CEO of the Anaheim Ducks. Maybe there's a way that we can work together here and forge a partnership. And so that's where it started. And he now has the Ducks logo on his sleeve. Yep. Uh, Canadian girlfriend. Yep. Uh, apparently a Canadian-born grandfather as well. And uh, he cut a different swath and picture and image than your typical PGA Tour winner, you hope those sorts of stories are ones that golf fans and casual fans can get behind because um, this split is really showing up this year and not to the benefit of the PGA Tour. All right. Poll question results from Friday where you may remember, seems like a distant memory now, we were coming off that awful game in Seattle for the Vancouver Canucks. We asked, what is more upsetting about Elias Patterson lately? His play, his unwillingness to sign, or nothing? What did the people say here, Jeff? I'm going to say the respondents went with nothing. They said his play. Oh. 46%, 33% said nothing, 21% said unwillingness to sign. Boy, the car the comments are getting harsher and harsher on Elias. Listen to this. Cascadia Dream. Dude is a distraction. He's a great eight million dollar a year guy. Nowhere near twelve million a year, not even remotely close. Earl, he's been streaky soft, whiny player from the beginning, a flop master on a level with Alex Burroughs. Clearly not a Canucks fan there. Avery saying people expect too much. No reason to be sour. And Harley says, maybe Petey is thinking if I sign in Vancouver for twelve and a half a year, the scrutiny will be under I will be under, will be unbearable, and believe me, it will. He will never live up to that contract, not in Canucks fans' eyes. Do you see a risk there of signing a big money deal and the fishbowl and the pressure being too much? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think of the heat that he's getting now, and he's holding up his end to the bargain. I mean, he's tied for 10th in National Hockey League scoring. He's got 74 points in 60 games. This is what he's getting now on a team that's in first place. Like, if he starts, you know, the meter is running and he's making 12 and a half over the long haul. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I could absolutely see a way that this turns and takes a, you know, another turn in the in the wrong direction. Was worried about that a little bit with JT Miller, particularly last year. And last year was the final year of his previous deal. But um, he has stepped up to the plate here magnificently. Errors and omissions. Grady tells me you all found none on Friday's mm. program. Squeaky. I did not note anything. No. Jay Pat's the rabbit's foot on this, the good luck charm. So no E's and O's. We'll carry on to tomorrow. 
Get Yerky on the case. Yeah, exactly. Maybe Yerky wasn't listening close enough. He was here on vacation, so a he did mention to us. Yeah. He was a few shows behind because <laughs> of that, so he may have some retroactive errors for us. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us, Rinkwide Vancouver, Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Of course, live 1130 every day on YouTube. And, of course, support those community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.